Welcome. Welcome to the Galatians 3 Continuing the Conversation podcast. This is Jake Jacobson. And today I am joined by Alan Martin and uh, possibly by June Martin as well. Alan and June are currently in the car on their way to Austin, Texas for the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, I'm really grateful for you guys taking some time out of your road trip here and hopefully it'll help pass the time on the road. But uh, say hello, Alan and, and June, if you'd like to as well. Hello. Hello. So we're glad to do it and a great way to uh, pass the time as we're driving to Austin. That's right. That's right. And uh, this week we had the, uh, the, the privilege of getting to listen to John Mark uh, read and tell us a little bit about the opening verses of Galatians chapter three. We've been in this sermon series for about three weeks now and uh, going verse by verse uh, through the book of Galatians. And I, I'm curious, Alan, uh, if you have found any uh if you have found this to be beneficial to you, kind of slowing down and going verse by verse through the entire book, what are your thoughts about uh, reading through scripture and preaching that way? I think it's one great way to do it. Although I would say, you know, something I think we'll talk about, it's always been narrative is. And so, you know, I've read uh, two or three books that have sort of had me thinking about what the, what the bigger story or the meta narrative is. Uh, and then it's, I think it colored in a little way that I, look at the individual verses um you know a couple of these books have been about you know this idea that of how did second temple to see things or understand things in the that around the time of christ two and three hundred years before see things and and a lot of that comes from you know uh reading the Apocrypha and things that they saw, the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, First Enoch and Jubilees and things like that. So I've read some of that stuff. Uh, and so you get an idea that sometimes their perspective and what their issues were are not always what my issues are or traditional issues of the Enlightenment about individual uh, transactional Christianity, they had other issues. And so maybe some of the ways I've read some of these individual verses may not be the way perhaps that either Paul meant it, or maybe the way that some of those people understood the letter. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting point. And, and I think in, in teaching the Bible and in, in reading the Bible, that always is a goal of ours, especially as modern minds, is to try to contextualize what is this book and why was it written? And uh, so I think you're right. I think uh, slowing down a little bit, reading it verse by verse, trying to understand what comes before and what comes after. Uh, I think that helps us to uh, get a fuller picture of what Paul was trying to say. And uh, chapter three is just chock full. There's so much in chapter three. And uh, I, I doubt that in 30 minutes or 45 minutes today that we'll, we'll even do it justice, but we'll give it our best shot here. And uh, if you're ready, uh, I'll read Galatians chapter three, verses one through 14. And uh, I'm reading out of the Common English Bible uh, today. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You irrational Galatians, who put a spell on you? Jesus Christ was put on display as crucified before your eyes. I just want to know this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so irrational? After you started with the Spirit, are you now finishing with your own human effort? Did you experience so much for nothing? I wonder if it was really for nothing, 
So does the one providing you with the Spirit and working miracles among you by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard. Understand that in the same way that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, those who believe are the children of Abraham. But when it saw ahead of time that God would make the Gentiles righteous on the basis of faith, Scripture preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. All the Gentiles will be blessed in you. Therefore, those who believe are blessed together with Abraham who believed. All those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone is cursed who does not keep on doing all the things that have been written in the law scroll. But since no one is made righteous by the law as far as God is concerned, it is clear that the righteous one will live on the basis of faith. The law isn't based on faith. Rather, the one doing these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. He redeemed us so that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus and that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I think this is a really unique passage of scripture to read aloud on a podcast setting because uh, you almost have to have the words in front of you. So I hope our, our listeners, I hope that if, as we read this, I hope maybe you were able to open it on your Bible app or open up your Bible because Paul is just packing so much information here. And a lot of what he includes are quotations from scripture. Uh, but before we get into the, maybe some of the specifics on that, Alan, I just want to kind of open it up and let you introduce this first half of chapter three and tell us your initial remarks, your initial comments. What intrigues you? Uh, what do you find interesting from uh, Paul's words here in Galatians 3? Yeah, so what, I mean, to me, uh, I think Paul is trying to connect both the, all the, the followers of Jesus, Jewish and Gentile, into one story. And the idea is he's clearly tying it back to, he's choosing to go back to Abraham and say that this whole story, one of the beginnings is that the promise to Abraham. Uh, and so the, the law then is part of that continuation, but it's not the whole story. And so some people have argued I mean, you theologian people have this all, this all this jargon, just like us medical people. That you know, he's an antinomian against the law, or there is no law. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not sure, from my perspective, that that he's truly antinomian and since against the law, as to say, hey, the story is bigger than the law, and it ties back to Abraham and the faith, and that it's one story. And, you know, clearly, I don't think Paul, I mean, I think Paul saw himself as a, a Jew and a faithful Jew. We know when he went back to Jerusalem, he took the vow, he went to the temple. And, and it appeared that many of the Jewish Christians saw themselves as Jews. And this is following the way in a way of being uh, a follower of God is through the way of Jesus. And that includes for them being Jewish and a follower of Jesus. And I think for many people, it, come, it may come down to that question of not just the law, but identity. So for the identity of what does it mean to be Jewish, for some people, it may have meant circumcision. It may have meant Sabbath. 
it may have been following Torah, uh, the law. And so I think he's trying to say it's bigger than that. It's something else. As opposed to, well, you just don't need to follow the rules anymore. Or let, let's just go back to the, the council in Acts chapter 15. And so they have this debate of what to do about the Gentiles. And I've always read that. Well, they gave them basically three or four rules of, you know, don't eat strangled meat, so you got to be kosher, don't drink blood, uh, sexual immorality. It's like, well, wait a minute. If you're only going to give people three or four rules, you, those would not be the three or four rules you'd give them, right? We'd say the essence of Christianity is love the Lord your God, love, well, manage yourself. What's that about? And the idea is, okay, they're not even making that argument like we would. Uh, that's what, what I think for me is going on here because i think there was such a tension because we ask ourselves let's go back to acts chapter 15. so we know after pentecost all these christians got persecuted and dispersed but it doesn't james didn't have to leave and peter and the the apostles it appeared a lot of them stayed right there in jerusalem for a long time and seemed to have no problem mm -hmm. so what was up with that it wasn't that everybody that was a believer it may be that those people who demonstrated uh following they're, what it meant to be Jewish for them, what it meant to be a follower of God, uh, didn't have any trouble. And the people who said, well, you don't really need to be circumcised or keep kosher, it created a lot of problems. So I think his, his strategy is to identify everybody back to faith in Abraham, not to discount law, but to say that law is not what makes you a follower of God, it's the promise of faith. And that Jesus is a continuation of this faith. Yeah, yeah. Well, consider, uh, I mean, we're, we're probably not even 10 minutes into our conversation. And let's just go ahead and consider the mic dropped. Uh, because I think uh, there's no no better way to say it than what you just did. And, and really, when we bring this close to home for us as readers today, you know, I think for me, one of the things that I always think in reading passages like this one is, the same is true for the church today. The, the questions of identity that you're talking about and how are the ways that we divide ourselves and, and try to, to say, okay, no, you're over there and we're over here. And what Christ is trying to do, what Paul is trying to point out that the cross accomplishes, that grace accomplishes, is that we're closer together than we think we are uh, because we're all in need of Christ. We're all in need of forgiveness. And when we get to this point in, in Galatians where we're trying to decide how does that salvation happen, well, it happens through Christ. It doesn't happen through the works that we ourselves can do. And so, uh, yeah, I think exactly what you're saying is right on par with what Paul is saying. And, and uh, really, when we bring this conversation close to home, uh, I think it has really, uh, it has implications that we might not be totally comfortable with. <laughs> and right. uh, when it comes to being the church and, and trying to figure out what is our identity, it's not based on the, the, you know, the sign that's out in, in front of our church or the certain practices that our denomination or non-denomination does or doesn't do. Uh, it's all about Jesus instead. So uh, I know that you have a lot to say too uh, about all of these scripture quotations. And I'm curious to know, what do you think, uh, what do you think Paul's doing here by quoting all of these scriptures in this passage? Uh, I know John Mark said in his sermon on Sunday that Paul is just flat out showing off right here by pulling all of these scriptures uh, just from his memory and, and quoting them. Uh, but uh, I want to give you the floor to talk about, you know, he, he quotes five, six, seven different scriptures here in this passage. What do you think he's trying to do? So, 
I think what he's doing is he's trying to get them to resonate with scriptures and Jesus. And this, so if, if anybody's read, say, Richard Hayes, uh, Echoes of Scripture and Paul or Echoes of Scriptures in the Gospel, he talks basically about how they read uh, backwards. Um, hang on, I'm having a technical issue. Can you see, still see me and hear me? Yes, yes, I can. Yeah, and so that he's reading backwards through Jesus. So let me give one example. So I had always, when I would hear this this little argument he makes further on about the seed, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, about Jesus as the seed and that the promise was to Abraham and his seed, not his seed. So it meant one person instead of Jesus, instead of all of his offspring. I thought, well, that's really uh, spurious. You know, it doesn't seem right to me. He's straining at it, it seemed like. And in fact, he, he quotes earlier directly from Genesis 15. And when you go to Genesis 15, the promise in Genesis 15 is that I will bless all the earth through you and your offspring. Uh, they'll be as numerous as the stars. Well, wait a minute. The stars are clearly numerous. So the way that probably you had to do, if you had to do this exegesis, you probably would have got an F in theology school. But and I'm not an expert in this period of time, but my understanding uh, in some of the stuff I've read is this is a common way of exegesis that they did uh, with the Old Testament. And as Richard Hayes talks about, there's all this, when you start looking at Paul and then the Gospels, they're picking scriptures all the time. And if you go back, you say, well, my goodness, they're taking it out of context or they're twisting it or that's not what the original author meant. But Paul's taking approach saying, look, um, you know, this promise that we know of, you could see it this way. And he's reading it spiritually. He's reading it allegorically. He's mostly reading it backwards. It says, look, I see Jesus here all the way back to the promise of Abraham. And it's less a concern that it's the way that we would precisely uh, historically interpret scripture. It's certainly not command, example, necessary inference, if mm. that makes any sense. So, and I think he's doing that a lot. He does it all the time, as do the gospel writers. It doesn't make it wrong, but it just says, this is us. This is our heritage. All these things, can't you see that? Maybe that's not what the author originally meant, but it resonates. That's what Richard Hayes means by echoes. It's echoing, it's resonating with them. And they say, yeah, I can see Jesus. The Jesus thing is not even that we're getting a new religion. I just don't think Paul thinks that. I don't think he's a supersessionist. It's one story. Mm. This is God doing one big story. The God's, when he says they're being justified, it's doing justice. They're making things right. God is delivering them from, it, from uh, Egypt. He's delivering them from Babylonian captivity. He's lining things up, getting them the margins justified, making things right. So that would be sort of my take on it. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because uh, so often, especially when it comes to the New Testament, we want it to, to work almost like a Pythagorean's theorem. You know, if yeah. A plus B equals C, I'm not even sure if that's Pythagorean's theorem. I'm just going to pretend like it is. Uh, <laughs> I studied theology, not math. 
but if A plus B equals C, you know, that's, that's how we want scripture to look, you know, uh, where everything lines up perfectly uh, and we can make all of these scientific or mathematical arguments based on scripture. But uh, I think what you said is so important for us to, to remember that this is a story. And Paul is trying to say, in light of what we know now, how do we understand the story that came before? And for Paul, there's all kinds of clues. There's all kinds of echoes. There's all kinds of hints at something that was, you know, seen possibly through a glass dimly. They saw it, but just barely, not, not really the full picture back then. But now when we look backwards, we can see it more clearly and we can understand it better because of what's happened. So, you know, they make, they make arguments that they understand all the time that we don't understand. You know, another example would be, you know, when Paul makes the argument about women having their head covered because of the angels and we're like, what, what in goodness name is he even talking about? But probably it references some stories that relate to that time of, well, we won't even go into all those stories, but from apocryphal books and books from the Dead Sea Scrolls and stories that they knew about angels and Nephilim and all kinds of stuff and demons going on. And so it made sense to them, even yeah. though it doesn't make sense to us. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not even a part of our world anymore, right? If you, if, if you say angels and demons, you, you probably mean it in like a, a Hollywood, you know, like motion picture kind of way, or you might, you maybe mean it in like a, uh, you know, once upon a time kind of fairy tale kind of way. But I mean, I don't know very many people who would say flat out, I have regular encounters with angels or with demons today. You know, that's a totally different world than what we know. Uh, and uh, we, we've perhaps evolved past that or think we've evolved past that. But uh yeah, it's a different world and, and a different understanding of the way that the world works than what we have today. And, and it was their current way, which was different than the way they understand it, as best we know, in ancient Israel. So you go read the what we know, the stories, at least, of ancient Israel. There's not a lot about demons roaming the earth, right? There are a few angel stories. Um, and there's lots of other, other There's no rabbis. There's no synagogues. I mean, so... Satan is barely even present, and when he is, he's like in Job roving around the earth. So things have changed, whether it be related to Persian captivity or whatever. But the point is, the Paul and Peter and Jude and other people are taking things of their time, you know. So I wrote a letter once that went to elder, other elders and deacons and made reference to the Declaration of Independence. Well, what's that? having to do with Christian or church or whatever, but it made reference to we hold these truths to be self-evident, all men are created equal, relating it also to this chapter then out of Galatians. But the point being, it's using language and times and cultures and the Bible and these authors did all those things, mm. uh, use the language and the understanding of their time. Yeah. yeah and, and that helped to make it accessible to, to the people that were listening to it at the time. It, it makes it a little bit difficult for us because we have to go and se seek it out. But uh, the people that Paul was writing to, referencing these scriptures uh, throughout the opening of this chapter, I mean, this was authoritative for them. This, this was moving. This was, uh, it was a convincing way to, to show them what he was trying to tell them. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot left still in this chapter, Alan. So uh, I'd love to go ahead and continue reading. 
uh, verses 15 through 29 through the rest of the chapter, and then we can continue our discussion thinking about what, uh, what Paul is moving towards here in, in chapter 3 of Galatians. He says, Brothers and sisters, I'll use an example from human experience. No one ignores or makes additions to a validated will. The promises were made to Abraham and to his descendant. It doesn't say, and to the descendants, as if referring to many rather than just one. It says, and to your descendant, who is Christ. I'm saying this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the agreement that was previously validated by God so that it cancels the promise. If the inheritance were based upon the law, it would no longer be from the promise. But God has given it graciously to Abraham through a promise. So why was the law given? It was added because of offenses, until the descendant would come to whom the promise had been made. It was put in place through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now the mediator does not take one side, but God is one. So is the law against the promises of God? Absolutely not. If a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would in fact have come from the law. But scripture locked up all things under sin so that, so that the promise based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ might be given to those who have faith. Before faith came, we were guarded under the law, locked up until faith that was coming would be revealed, so that the law became our custodian until Christ, so that we might be made righteous through faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now if you are Christ's, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Okay, so uh, we, we kind of mentioned uh, already some of the stuff that you're talking about as far as the seed or, or the descendant. Uh, and, and as well as talking about uh, this idea of the promise uh, coming to Abraham 400 years before the law came. But uh, if there's anything else you want to say about that, feel free to include that. But uh, at the end of this chapter, uh, Paul, his argument really comes home to us because he is making this argument that the law is no longer the thing that we are defined by. Uh, the law, yes, it's important. It plays a role, but we are not defined by the law. We're defined by something else. Uh, and that something else has to be the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And that is what wins us the promise and the inheritance of God. So uh, feel free to just kind of take us where this conversation needs to go, Alan. What, what is your reaction to this second half of the chapter? So, you know, you, I think we've had this discussion before, but I'm certainly uh, a committed believer that uh, I'm not going to do the Greek well, the Christus Christos, or however you say it, the faith Christ for me means not simply or primarily me believing or saying the word I believe, but more the faithfulness of Christ. And it's not so much an individual thing. That's very Western idea that, that I've grown up with. But when he says that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, you know, I think he's referencing this bigger idea that what did Christ accomplish at the cross this victory or this power of sin and death 
that sin and death had come into the world and that it reigned in the world. And what Jesus accomplished was not simply that I needed to go to hell and I got forgiven, but that there is a cosmic force that Jesus was the first fruits uh, and that, 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 that this victory has occurred. And uh, it's a bigger story, basically, than that. And it is accomplished by the work and the faithfulness of Christ. And that we, like I said, back to what we started, it's one story, God working, justifying, working out things to be right. They will be right in the future. And it's through the actions of God and the faithfulness of Christ. And we access that and that the law is not bad, the law is not wrong, but, the, but it was just part of the, along the way to being, I won't even call it being a Gentile or a Jew, to being a follower, a true follower of God is through faith and the promise. Yeah, man, there, there, there's so much to impact there. And uh, just like you said, we, we've, you and I and June have definitely had the discussion about this particular phrase in the Greek, the, the pistis to theo. And uh, it, it can be translated in a, a couple of different ways. Traditionally, we translate it as faith in Christ to the point where it almost comes across as if it's, it's up to us. It's our responsibility to, to have enough faith in Christ to be saved. But an alternative translation could be the faithfulness of Christ. And uh, you and I both, we really like that translation as opposed to the other one, because then what we see is that our faith is a participation in the faithfulness of Christ. And that ultimately is what is, uh, what helps us to earn, not, not even to earn, but to, to have salvation, uh, because the faithfulness of Christ to the point of death on a cross defeated these cosmic powers of sin and death so that we can have life with God. And, and, uh, and I mean, that, that is enough to spend like weeks and months trying to unpack just that simple idea right there. Cause it's so, complex and there's so much that that needs to be unpacked about that uh, but yeah I think I think uh, you and I both really like that that translation and, and I think it helps us to tie into Paul's argument here as well because he's making this argument about these Jews and Gentiles both being saved not through the law but through faith and so if it's through the law then it's an action if it's through our own faith then it's an action but if it's uh, through Christ then it is Christ's action. That, that saves us and provides uh, victory over sin and death for us. Right. And so as you read the very last few verses, first, I'm not going to minimize the importance of us having and expressing faith. I think it can be read and should be read both ways. But when you get to the end, if you read it that way, uh, it says that, that we are justified, not individually forgiven and not damned, but we are made right with God in alignment with the way that God wants things to be through the faithfulness of Christ. And uh, it's not that the law doesn't matter, but the law was not the answer. It was the victory over sin and death, being reconciled with God, and being transformed into his likeness, as opposed to simply a transactional view, an individual transactional view. I think without a doubt, they saw a lot of this is corporate. And a lot of things Paul talks about are corporate and big picture things uh, and not simply individual uh, uh, contract uh, negotiation with God. 
Right, right, yeah. <laughs> As if to say, like, we can purchase our salvation if, if we say the magic formula, if we say the magic words, <laughs> then, okay, then God will, will grant us salvation and, and, and eternal life and things like that. Right, because I've always said, you'd always seem crazy to me. You know, we got critiqued, well, it's you just believe in the act of baptism. But other people say, okay, you, then maybe you get in because you got elected or you got in because you said the believer's prayer. It's all like having the, the, the magic potion of God in the box. My guess is I like God doing the stuff and we're participating with what God is doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this also, to me, I'm, I'm reminded, you know, the, the metaphor of, of a dance with God, I'm kind of reminded of that kind of a metaphor here because uh, in order for, for there to be a dance with God, it can't be my faith. And like you said, we don't want to downplay the role that our faith plays as well. And so it's this kind of interchange, this interplay, this back and forth of this dance of we, the faithfulness of Jesus. And we continue to live by faith and to have faith. And, and all of those things work together. They're related. And it almost creates this kind of dance, this back and forth uh, that is required, that's necessary for us to be in relationship with God. Right. I think in the very end, I guess, as we get into... Uh, 26 the only other thing I would uh, say you know when he says there's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female it's always interesting to see that and then read Paul's letters where he's giving specific pragmatic directions I say how do those two things go together he's talking about he gives multiple lists of how to be an ethical Christian slave owner I'm not sure that 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 exists and men and women relationships and uh then you have to ask yourself which which is the main principle and which is some kind of pragmatic argument for its day you know that's not clear i know what my bias is is the end of this chapter is what god's intent is you know it's not simply that well you know when you get to heaven there won't be slave or free it's that there is not in God's eyes. Mm-hmm. And maybe Paul made some concessions. My guess is that's all Paul knew, mm-hmm. right? Not saying Paul's not inspired, but he couldn't envision a world in which men and women were equal and there was no slavery. That was nobody envisioned that in the same way that um, I don't think um, Thomas Jefferson could ever envision a world in where uh Black people and white people are equal. I don't care that he wrote that. I've always taken that as maybe the work of the Holy Spirit giving a prophecy to something that he and his people in Congress could never see at the time. Yeah. Well, and and it reminds me, too, of some of the prophetic texts as well, uh, because you read some of these prophetic texts, and they're they're talking about something that's going on in their day, in, in their time. But when, like we were talking about with, uh, you know, looking back in scripture and reading backwards, you look at it and you almost think, man, that absolutely is the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, guiding that prophet to write what he wrote because it mattered to the people who heard it because of their situation, because of the context that, that it was written in. But then we read it hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, and we say, okay, this takes on a whole new meaning now because of something that's going on in our time and our place. And this is true for, for us as readers of scripture as well. There are so many times that we'll read a passage of scripture 
that before we, we had read before and we just thought, well, you know, that, that's good. It's in the Bible. It's good. It's good to read that. But then we read it at a certain time in our life and it takes on a whole new meaning. It, it becomes fresh to us. It becomes alive because of circumstances that are going on in our lives. And, and I think too, like what you're saying, I think this, this is the kind of passage that we look at and we say, man, the Holy Spirit is alive and active because we're, we're dealing with these issues still today. We're dealing with the issues of what does it look like for people to be unequal? Uh, and this is, this is maybe the biggest conversation going on in our culture right now is what is, why are people still unequal? Why, why are we still treating people differently based on physical circumstances or, you know, whatever it is that we're judging people on or, or dividing people upon. And here's Paul 2000 years ago, having no idea that we're going to be having the conversation we're having today. And he says, in the eyes of God, there is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Uh, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and I mean, that is a, a bold thing to say 2000 years ago, and it's still a bold thing to say today. Right. I love the way of looking back. So last year I read uh, the biography and autobiography about Frederick Douglass, and then also the autobiography of Martin Luther King. And they both would quote Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration and point to that as an unfulfilled promise a promise that was made and never kept. And it doesn't matter if that's exactly what Abraham Lincoln meant. It's what it meant to us and what it meant to them. I mean, what it meant to Thomas Jefferson, but it's what it meant to them and what it means to us now. And it is a prophecy, like you say. For me, this is the prophecy of what it should look like and what it should look like in the kingdom, which was to come, but we're but we're in it and it's to be, it's not, I get it. It's not there yet, but that I like, you're right. I see it as a prophecy the same way the declaration is. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives us uh, something to grapple with and to wrestle with in our time, because uh, I mean, absolutely. This, this is a big statement that Paul is making here. And like you said, there are other places where Paul, uh, you know, he's got very specific instructions that he's sharing about the roles of certain people in the church or how, how to, how to live in light of, X, Y, or Z. And, uh, and we've got we've to somehow piece all of this together and say, what is this kingdom that is to come on earth? Uh, and, and here, clearly in Galatians 3, uh, it is a wide open kingdom where everybody is welcomed to the table, where everybody has a place, everybody has a voice. And the reason for that is not because of anything that we've done. It's not because uh, inherently by being male or female, by being slave or free or having a certain skin color or a nationality. It's by none of that. It's instead only because of the faithfulness of Christ that brings us to oneness with God. Right. Well, I think when Jesus challenged them to quit judging by mere appearances and to make a right judgment, actually, that's a high bar, right? It's like, goodness gracious, I might want 10 rules to live by instead of making a right judgment. Uh, with, uh, in that sense. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, this has been rich, and uh, I, I do want to say before uh, before we end our time, uh, June has just had to suffer through uh, the the two of us just talking about this. And and June, I uh, I know you're you're the one behind the wheel, so I don't want to distract you too much. But is there anything that you want to add or or comment on in Galatians chapter three uh, that would enrich our conversation today? Well, I've enjoyed listening to you guys converse. It's been very rich and deep. Um, I, I 
curious as I listen, you know, Paul transforms as he writes his epistles and as in the very beginning, you can tell he thinks Christ is about to come back anytime. Mm-hmm. And then he starts being more practical. Okay, well, we may be here a while. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm, I'm just curious, and y'all may not know where Galatians fits in on that, because this neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, is almost apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. And then later on, women got to cover their heads, and um, you know they except when they're preaching or praying or prophesying. And it's just uh, interesting to me that this is so freeing. And then later on, it comes down with such hard rules and why we typically in our, our church, but not just our church, uh, several churches have taken the more restrictive rules and made those part of our um, way of doing things, our theology instead of this. And why is that? Why have we been so restrictive of women? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that last question might, might require a podcast of its own. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when, when we think about uh, uh, kind of where Paul, uh, chronologically, where, where this, uh, this letter fits into his letters, you know, a lot of what he's talked about up until this point in the letter is leading up to that Acts 15 uh, council that Alan referenced a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, you have Paul and Bar- uh, Barnabas in uh, chapters, uh, kind, of, kind of starting in chapter 12 and 13, and you have them moving around, and that's kind of where we find them uh, in the first opening chapters of this uh, of this letter is as they're traveling at the beginning of their missionary journeys. And so it is interesting uh, what you just said, uh, June, that we kind of see here, Paul starts with this bold statement, and then later on in his ministry, he gets into these contextual situations, and he says these things that uh, are, uh, in some ways, very restrictive, and, uh, and, and today they cause us to, to stop and scratch our heads and wonder, what on earth is Paul talking about here? Why is he saying this when earlier he's already said this other thing else? And uh, definitely, I think there's a lot, uh, a lot throughout his ministry and his life that uh, led him to, to write the things that he wrote at the times that he wrote. But uh, I'll kick it to Alan and see if Alan has anything else that he wants to add to that. No, I think, I mean, what little I know is that Galatians is, everybody agrees Paul wrote Galatians. I think it was written early. And some of the, the beliefs that some of the letters, like First and Second Timothy and Titus, maybe Ephesians, um, and others may have been written by followers of Paul rather than Paul himself have to do with some of these ideas where Paul, for instance, in the pastoral epistles, instead of a spirit-led church, he's talking about formal elders and deacons, and it's like a structure that seems very different, a more mature church, and certainly some of the things that are very more restrictive, particularly in terms of women, was that Paul, was it not somebody else that had been a follower of him, or is it recognized a time maybe 50 years later when the church is much more structured and organized? Uh, and, uh, so they'll use that kind of argument along with then linguistic arguments uh, that, uh, that maybe Paul didn't write this by hand himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, too, I think, uh, like, like, Alan's mentioning, and I think June, you said this as well too, that Paul kind of has to uh, adjust along the way and, and realize 
we've got we've got to set this church up uh, to to last. You know, this thing's got got to we got to figure out a structure for it. And so, yeah, exactly. You know, the the return of Christ might not be tomorrow. Uh, it might be at an unspecified future date. And, uh, and so trying to, to wrestle with that and figure out how, how are we going to get this church thing to continue, uh, not just for one generation, but generation after generation uh, down, the, down the line. And uh, that doesn't clean up problems that we see uh, in the modern world today with some of these passages and, and questions that we have about it. It doesn't clean that up. It doesn't remove those entirely. But uh, I think it does give a little bit of context for why maybe why Paul would have written the kinds of things that he wrote. And another thing that these scriptures make me wonder, so we don't struggle with very many of these issues anymore. We don't have people in there wanting everybody to get circumcised and eat kosher. But what do we rule on? And Mm -hmm. where are where today would we be told give up these laws? Yeah. You know, I, I do think one of them would be the women, you know, and I, I, I just don't even know the answer, but I do wonder some of the things that we've always understood mm. uh, as a law, maybe we were wrong. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's the question that, that, uh, that we all wrestle with when we come to scripture, I, I hope is that how, how am I understanding this in light of who I am today? You know, we, we want to start by understanding the, the context of the ancient world, and we want to understand why was this written, who was it written to, what was going on. And then the, the application question is, okay, now how do I put this into practice in my life? And, and that's the hard one with Galatians chapter 3, because Paul is tearing down every barrier. Uh, he says, let's tear these barriers down, these barriers that keep people away from God, and let's figure out. What is it that brings people to God? Well, it's Jesus. So let's focus in on that and let's put all of our effort and attention towards that rather than, as you're mentioning, June, uh, whatever, whatever at the time happens to be the thing, right? So at their time, it was circumcision uh, and, and it was, you know, who, is, who are your ancestors? You know, that's not our question today. We have other questions. And so looking at the questions we have today and saying, are we using those to limit the gospel? And if so, how can we make changes? Because changes need to be made if that's the case. Well, I want to say thank you to both of you guys. I appreciate y'all's time and uh, reflecting on Galatians 3 with me today. And uh, certainly we have a a lot to to still unpack and think about through this chapter of Galatians 3. I hope our listeners uh, maybe have been challenged by the conversation today. Maybe there's some uh, some words that Alan threw out that you can uh, go to the dictionary and, and look up. I know I will be. Uh, I'll be going to the dictionary as soon as I hang up this call. But uh, I want to say thank you guys uh, for, for spending time with me, as well as thank you to the listeners uh, for uh, engaging with us in this conversation and for studying the book of Galatians with our church family. And this Sunday, uh, John Mark is going to be preaching on Galatians chapter four. And so I invite everybody to join us uh, on Sunday online for our online worship service this week. And uh, we will continue our conversation with Galatians chapter four, trying to understand this ancient letter uh, that has deep implications for how we live our lives today. Uh, Alan and June, any final words of encouragement or uh, anything else that you want to say? Oh, just hope everybody has a safe and blessed and happy Thanksgiving. Mm. Yes.
stay COVID free if possible. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And uh, we'll Happy see you again. We'll see you again in about a week. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.